Are you in love with him? Are you in love with him? Amen. Tell someone before you're seated you're in love with Jesus. If you really are, if you really are, tell them, tell them, tell them you're in love with Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I want to thank Pastor Bob for allowing me to step into the pulpit this morning and share with you. You are so blessed because you have a, from my perspective, a young man <laughs> who preaches his heart out every week. And Well, actually not every week. Dina preaches her heart out every once in a while and different ones. This church is blessed, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here and share with you this morning. I, I, I told someone, I said, it's nice to preach to a live audience. I preach a lot of funerals these days. You know, but it's good to preach to people that are alive. And this place is electric this morning in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. And I thank you for all of those, all of you who have been praying for me. I know there's at least a dozen of you who've told me you're praying for me this morning. And, and I need that. And I appreciate that. And I thank God for that. Hallelujah. From 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, verses 9 and 10. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent but the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. As I begin, as I, begin I must tell you that God began dealing with me about this message about a month ago. When Pastor Bob had asked me to speak this morning. And I told my wife, I wish God would have given me something happier and more exciting. But I have to obey God. And that's what you would want me to do. Amen? Amen. God is not a man that he should lie. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't make excuses. He will do exactly what he has declared in his word he will do. And there are three distinct promises in these two verses of scripture. And our God keeps his promises. Promise number one, he's coming back to earth at some point in time. Amen. He's actually two different phases of his coming. The first is what we call the rapture of the church. I want to be ready when that takes place. I want to be ready to go up to meet him in the air. But he's coming, the second phase of that is what is called the day of the Lord when he comes back to earth to judge a world that has rejected him and his salvation. The third promise is that he is patient. He is loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. 
It is not his desire that anyone be lost, but that every man, every man, all mankind repent of their sins and choose to obey him, choose to walk in fellowship with him, choose to become a part of his church, his body on the face of the earth, his bride. Hallelujah. That's his desire for everyone that's ever walked this planet. The day of the Lord here in 2 Peter is a reference to God's judgment upon the earth. And particularly upon the people of the earth who do not repent of their sins and who do not seek the Lord's provided salvation through Jesus Christ. The promise of God is that judgment will come and that people will be destroyed when it comes. Let me tell you something you won't hear preached a whole lot these days. But it's the truth. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath. The Bible talks about the jealousy of God. The Bible talks about the anger of God. The Bible said he's angry with sinners every day. He doesn't destroy us every day. Because sin is rebellion against him. Because it is a rejection of his love, of his plan, of his peace. It angers him when we turn a deaf ear to what his spirit is trying to say to us and speak to us. The Bible clearly teaches that he is both a God of love and a God of wrath. In Psalm 95, 89, the Bible warns us not to harden our hearts toward God as the Israelites did in the wilderness. And we know what happened to them. Their bodies were scattered all over the sand. Even after he had miraculously delivered them, because they rejected him, they felt his judgment. I know that some of you are probably thinking, well, that was in the Old Testament. Well, you know, there's some New Testament writings about the anger and wrath of God as well. Romans 2 and 5 shares, an unrepentant heart stirs up God's wrath. Hebrews 3, 7 through 9 warns us to not harden our hearts like the Old Testament Israelites did, lest we stir up God's anger like they did. In Hebrews 4 and 7, it warns us today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. You see, some people fail to understand that the Old Testament God is also the New Testament God. There is only one God. He is the same. He has not changed. If you don't believe in God's New Testament anger, you might want to be reminded about Ananias and Sapphira from Acts 5 who were struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. I'm glad he's patient. Hello? Because I've been in church a few times where I had lied to the Lord. You say, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, growing up. I lied to myself. I'm saying I'm all right when I knew I wasn't all right. When I was telling other people, everything is great when it wasn't great. Hello? Yeah. Someone told me this morning, you might have got saved. How many times you say? 50 times or something like that? Yeah. Hey, about every Sunday night, I used to be in the altar as a teenager praying, God, forgive me for everything that happened this week. I struggled as a young man in dealing with a world that I lived in. But I am so glad that he was patient enough to continue to love me 
and continue to call me and continue to, to care about me until I really learned what repentance was and it wasn't feeling sorry for myself or worried about dying and going to hell. Repentance was a change of mind and a change of heart and a change of direction and I recognized I want to live for Jesus. Hallelujah. Our text not only talks about the judgment of God, but I'm glad it talks about the patience of God. For we call it grace, God's undeserved favor. The truth is God does not want any of us to be destroyed. He wants every one of us to repent and to turn from our rebellion and live in obedience to him. Most of us, if not all of us, know the story of Jonah. It's a classic example of God's mercy and grace. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach about God's judgment against the people there because they were wicked enemies of God, but they were also wicked enemies of Israel. Jonah refused to go because he knew if Nineveh repented of his preaching, God would have mercy on them and spare them. His rebellion wasn't because he was afraid to go to Nineveh for himself. He wanted their enemies to die. He understood the grace and mercy of God so great. He said, I don't want to go preach to them. They'll repent and you'll forgive them and they're our enemies. You know, there's still people in the church like that. Yeah, in Christianity. They know God is merciful, and so he obviously rebelled against the Lord, went in an opposite direction. But you see, he needed the very mercy that he was afraid God was going to extend to someone else. How many of you understand? You know, it's not up to us to judge. It's up to us to cry out, repent, repent, repent. It's not for us to turn away from anyone that God wants to save because he wants to save everybody. It's not us to say, no, it's too late for them. They're my enemy or I don't like the way they live or the way they look or or where they come from or anything like that. No, no, no. The mercy of God is for all of us. And we must understand that. God calls all mankind to repentance. It is mankind that chooses to accept or to reject. So Jonah rebelled against God, went the opposite direction, ended up in the belly of a great fish. And in his anguish, he cries out for the very mercy he did not want to extend to someone else. And God mercilessly threw him up (laughs) on the shores of Nineveh where he was supposed to be to begin with. I'm so glad that even when it's not a shortcut, God sometimes would just get us where we need to be. Hello, amen. Jonah is only one of many Old Testament characters that got a second chance from God. Amen. Abraham was given a second chance to have a legitimate heir after trying to have an heir illegitimately. Samson had a divine calling on his life from his mother's womb. He was raised in a good church of God family. Well, just a little bit of personal expression there. He was raised in a godly family. And if you really know the story of Samson, he was a womanizer. 
He never did the right thing until the day he died. God raised him up to be a mighty deliverer. And the only people he ever delivered was himself when, of his own anger. Every, every Philistine that he killed, he killed because of personal reasons, not because of what God had done. He grew up in a righteous home and lived like the devil. And then as a broken, beaten, washed up, blinded warrior, the hair wasn't the big deal. One of my brothers who has fairly long hair told me the other day. He said, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that if we're going to argue about hair, that we have no such custom in the church of God? I said, yeah, but a few people have forgot that verse. You know, It wasn't about his hair. But finally, he finally repented and said, God, I'm going to do what you've called me to do, even if it costs me my life. Now, there's a lot of people that believe that Samson committed suicide. I don't believe that. I believe he just died obeying God. And in his death, he finally accomplished what God had called him to accomplish all of those years. But he wasted years of his life in disobedience. But God gave him another chance. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. We see people in the New Testament who were given second chances. We all know that Peter was a big mouth. Not just because he could preach, but because he could say the right thing at the right time, and he could say the wrong thing at the wrong time. He was a talker, and his fiery tongue got him in trouble sometimes even with Jesus. I, I'm sure Jesus, there, there were times when he was just, he was probably doing one of these. Oh, man. When are you going to wake up? When are you going to learn? When are you going to listen to me? When are you going to quit putting your foot in your mouth and just let me speak through you the truth? Hallelujah. And thank God, Peter got another chance. You know, other than Judas, and I'm one of those people that believe if Judas hadn't hung himself, he could have had another chance. But you see, the devil always wants to destroy you in your rebellion. He always wants to attack you when you're down because he knows that if you look up, you can get up. And so he will always try to say there's no hope for you. There's, there, you know, no, 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 not, not after what you've done, not after you've been through. You know, I believe Judas could have repented. Of course, the Bible does say he was a devil from the beginning because his heart wasn't right. From the beginning. He was actually serving Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And sometimes we find people in church today who serve God for all the wrong reasons. There are plenty of people in churches across America today that are there because of business contacts. Or looking for a husband or a wife. Or for whatever reason other than to actually seek the Lord and to call upon his name. You see every one of the disciples... None of, them, none of them really stood for Jesus when he was on trial. And maybe only John was the only one that actually stood at the foot of the cross with his mother and maybe a couple others. But God gave them a second chance. Hallelujah. Some of you 
who have been here for a long, long time know that I shared many years ago that God brought me to mentor for a second chance. Because I pastored for eight and a half years in Thornton, Colorado. I thought I was going to be there for the rest of my life. I even bought funeral plots there. I found out you can't sell funeral plots. Nobody will buy them. I still own two funeral plots in Brighton, Colorado. Not planning on using them. Actually, I got two outside of Alliance, Ohio. I'm not planning on using them either. My plan is to just go up. Hello? Hallelujah. Well, either way, I'm going up. Whether I'm alive when the rapture takes place or I'm dead when the rapture takes place, I'm still going in the rapture by the grace of mercy of God. But I was there for eight and a half years building a church, and the church was growing, and, and good things were happening. And I don't have time to go into the whole story, but some of you may, may remember that something happened to me there, and I was, uh, what, what's the vernacular way? I was stabbed in the back by someone who was my authority. And it wounded me so bad that I went into a depression. At the time, I wouldn't admit it was a depression. I didn't tell anyone it was a depression. How do you know it was a depression? Because for the first time in my life, I was having trouble with my conversations with God. For the first time in my life, I was struggling. God, why did you let that happen? I've given my life to you. I've given everything I have to you. I have served you. And, and, and you let this happen to me? Man, what a pity party. Because of that depression, it reached the point that I wasn't forced to leave. I didn't have to leave. But I was smart enough to realize that I wasn't good for the church. And I wanted to do what was right for the church. So I prepared to leave people that I loved with all my heart. About 175 of them that I had won to the Lord myself. Brought into the kingdom during that eight years. Because I knew that in my condition I was not the right man for the job. Could I have repented? Yeah, I could have. But at the time, I was in my 30s, and I was immature. And it just didn't occur to me that my authority would be gone in a few years, and I could still be there. And so I let that disappointment. How many people in the church are not doing what God called them to do because of a disappointment, because of a failure, because they got stabbed in the back or in the front? Because somebody wounded them, somebody hurt them, somebody did something, and, 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 and they got into a depression about it. How do you know they're in a depression about it? Because they're not, they're not willing to reconnect anywhere in any church because of something that happened years ago in their lives. Come on, we've all met them. Maybe a couple of you sitting here. But because you've got hurt, you know what? We live in a world where people get hurt. The people in the church are not perfect. That's why we're in the church. We need perfection, but we're not perfected. But God is doing a work in our lives. But we hurt each other from time to time. Sometimes we don't mean to do it. Sometimes it's deliberate. But either way, we can't refuse to be connected to the body of Christ where God has placed us just because somebody's hurt us. And so I left there. I spent four years in Akron. 
Forgive me, Akron people, if you hear this online. But I spent four years in Akron learning to love people that didn't love me. I mean, I was in my 30s, and everybody in that church just about was in their 70s or 80s or 90s. You know, I was the young whippersnapper. And what was worse, I moved in with four kids, and my wife got pregnant the first month I was there. They hadn't had children in a parsonage for 30 years. All of a sudden, I got kids tearing it up. But it's, it's not hard to tear up a parsonage when you got five kids and the parsonage is about 1,000 square feet. You know. But I learned that you can love people that don't love you. You can love people that don't like you. You can love people and minister to them when you understand that you're ministering for the Lord. And you're actually ministering to the Lord when you minister to them. It took me four years to figure that out before God brought me up here. Then I affectionately say, God brought me here to live or die. <laughs> you know. And I thank God every single day that God brought me here. Amen. I love this church. I love these people. I even love the 500 that have left me over 30 years. Some of you have left me and come back a few times. And if you're honest, I loved you every time you came back. Because I even loved you when you left. My philosophy, and Alan knows that my philosophy is don't burn bridges. You know. I did mature. I did grow up a little bit. I, I, I figured out, you know, that those people sometimes that leave you will come back because they need you or sometimes they come back because God knows you need them. And so you allow the Holy Spirit to mature you and help you to grow up. God gave me a second chance for a long-term pastorate when I came here. And I will never, ever be able to thank him enough for that. I was at camp meeting last month in Columbus. And I heard a speaker say that God is not a God of second chances. And when he said that, boy, my ears kind of, you know, pricked. I go, what? He said, because if he was a God of just second chances, I'd be on my way to hell. I needed multiple chances. Such the title of my message, Another Chance. He's not just a second chance, God. Well, too bad. <laughs> he told Peter, hey, just keep forgiving. How many times? Oh, just keep forgiving. Seven times 70? Well, that, that's, that's a good round number. Just keep forgiving. But don't keep track of wrongs. So you'll never know when that seven times 70 is up. Just keep loving people. Just keep forgiving people. Just, just keep ministering to people. Just keep serving me. Hallelujah. King David needed more than a second chance because he really screwed up several times. Hello? You know that guy that wrote all those songs we sing? He needed more than just a second chance. But because he would turn his heart to God in repentance... God would forgive him and cleanse him and minister to him and anoint him. And the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. You know, 
His flesh wasn't always after God's heart, but his heart was after God's heart. And God continued to give him opportunities to be right with him. God gave the wicked people in Noah's day 100 plus years to get right. They didn't repent. But it wasn't God's will for them to be lost. And so while Noah was building the boat, he just kept preaching, kept preaching. And they heard the truth that there was a day of judgment coming until their judgment came. The coming of the day of the Lord is not that far away. Jesus is going to soon be coming for his church. We call it the rapture. He's coming for his bride. He's coming for those brothers and sisters who are obedient unto him. You say, how do do you know he's coming soon? I, I know because I see the world that we're living in. And Pastor Tim last week talked about Israel being restored in 1948. You know, that was even before I was born. Whoa, way back then. 1967, Jerusalem came under the control of the Jewish people. Just a couple years ago, the capital was moved back to Jerusalem. You don't think that made the devil mad? Oh, it sure did. You know. But see, there's more than that that convinces me. You see, I believe the technology of our day will allow things that were described in the Revelation to take place. Some are already beginning to take place. You see, the technology is available for the mark of the beast now. They're already doing it to dogs. And they will eventually get around to people. The technology, satellite technology, will allow the promise of revelation that when the two witnesses that come back and preach in the streets of Jerusalem, some of you may not know that story, but there's going to be two witnesses who come back. Some people think it'll be Elijah and Moses because they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, but the Bible said they're going to come back and preach, and then they're going to be killed by the Antichrist, and their bodies are going to lay in the streets for three days, and then they're going to rise from the dead, and eyes around the world are going to see that. That was impossible when I went into the ministry 50 years ago, but it's possible now. We see events all around us almost every day taking place in parts of the world. You see, the technology is here. What God saw and knew was going to take place is now available. I know because now we have the ability, or man has the ability to rebuild the temple in a matter of months in Jerusalem. And I'm convinced when the true church is taken out of the way, the illegitimate church will join up with the Antichrist and they'll rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And I I know that for some of you, you're probably having a difficult time maybe following me. But the Bible says in the last days, actually in the tribulation days, that the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem and that at the three and a half year mark of that seven year period, the Antichrist will go into that temple and declare himself to be God. That's what he's wanted all along. He was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to sit on the throne with God. He's become even more grand news. Now he wants to be God. And the technology is there to do that in months where even 50 years ago, they couldn't have, it had taken years to rebuild that temple. They could do it in months now. 
The technology is there. I know that we're close to the end. Because a man-made epidemic brought the world to its knees in a matter of weeks. And masses of people surrendered their personal rights and their freedoms because of a perceived danger with no scientific proof whatsoever. And I don't want to get in a political battle. I'm simply telling you that deception has become the rule. And people are so afraid of life today that they'll almost bow to anything. I told my wife the other day, I said, we got to be in the last days. I said, because I can't think of anything that is crazier. Somebody's getting a phone call. It's not Jesus, but you can grab it. I said, I can't think of anything more ridiculous than somebody not knowing whether they're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. I can't believe that we are so stupid that now there's, there's papers out there where you have to check whether you're a male and then check whether you're pregnant or not. I said, if people will believe that, they'll believe anything. That is the most ridiculous thing. The whole gender thing. It's a warning from God to you and I that deception is ruling the world today. There's nothing crazier than that. Hey, you could tell me there's green little men landing in England from Mars and I would be easier for me to believe than to believe the gender problem. And it's the smartest people in the world who believe that junk. Aren't you glad I didn't say crap, dear? She used to get mad at me if I used the word crap when I was preaching. <laughs> you know? But it's crap. If you're a man, you may help produce a baby, but you're not going to have one. However, we need to understand that as patient as God is, even God's patience can wear out. He's told us that. He's warned us of that. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And the word remedy there means recovery. This loving, awesome God that we serve does not want any of us to be lost. But he said, if you keep hardening your heart and hardening your heart and hardening your heart, there will come a day No apostle love may not tell you that. But the Bible even says there'll come a day when you'll be full of fear and you'll cry out to me and I won't hear you. Because you rejected me time and time and time and time and time again. But he's a God of love. Yes, he is. 
That's why he sent his son. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he established the church after his resurrection. So that people could preach the gospel and we could hear the truth and have an opportunity to repent. But if we don't repent, eventually judgment will destroy all mankind who does not repent. Like the prophet Ezekiel, I cry out, turn from your evil ways and live. Why will you die? That's not God's will. It's not God's plan. Hell was not created for you or anyone you know. Turn from your evil ways and live. Proverbs 29 and 1. Proverbs 28 and 1 says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. I know through the Holy Spirit that there's several people here this morning that are not in a right relationship with God. I'm not judging you. I don't even know who you are. I just know through the Spirit that you're here. And I'm begging you, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away from God. Don't deny the truth. Because inside of you, no matter what you're saying with your mouth, you know there is a God because the Bible says all men know that there is a God. And He loves you. And He's died for you. And He wants you to be saved. But I've got another warning I've got to tell you. He's not only another chance God for those who need to come to the Lord. He's another chance God for all of you who are refusing to get in the fight. Who are refusing to get in the battle. Who are refusing to obey God. Who like Jonah are just kind of wanting to stay on the sidelines. God said, tell my people, this time is for them. I was sitting in this church just a few weeks ago. I don't remember what pastor preached. It was a powerful message. He's a great preacher, great communicator. I don't remember what he preached, but I remember there was a message in tongues and an interpretation. I don't even remember what that was, but I remember what the Spirit spoke to me. The Spirit spoke to me. I'm sitting right back there. The Spirit spoke to me and said, too many of my people think we're losing. We're not losing. I'm being patient, but we're, we're not losing. There's nothing that's happening that I'm not aware of. In fact, there's nothing that's happening that I haven't allowed to happen to fulfill my will. The church isn't losing. The church isn't losing. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the church of the living God is growing by leaps and bounds in the world today. Including even in America. Oh, there are churches that are dying, all right. But the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And he said, tell them, we're, we're not losing. I'm just being patient. 
but I'm pouring out my spirit on those who are willing to obey me. You got a calling on your life? It's, it's not too late to obey him. I don't know. Hey, you retired. I, I didn't retire from my calling. Someone said there's no such thing as retirement in the Bible, and I said that's not true. I said the workers in the temple were to work for 40 years from 20 to 60, and then they were to retire from the temple. They didn't retire from ministry. They would say, oh, go into the temple and serve, but they didn't serve regularly in the temple. You can't retire from what God has called you to do. Even if you've screwed up your life, you can't retire from that. The calling of God upon you is without repentance. He's, he's waiting for you to repent and say, God, I screwed up, but I'm here. I'm now. I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm choosing to obey you. It's not too late for me. We had an associate pastor here for about 12 years, Carol Workman. She was like 58 years old when she got called into the ministry. She served till she was 70. And she told me they were the greatest years of her life. There's about 100 people in this church that she discipled during that 10 to 12 years. It's not too late for you to obey God. Hello? It's not too late for you to obey God, whatever the circumstances are. If we repent and come to him, he will not turn us away. He doesn't want any of us to miss our destiny in him. Worship team, come on up. I cry out this morning with this sermon that had been on my heart for about a month. And I'm saying... Today, God has given every one of us another chance to say for me to live is Christ. And I'm going to serve him with all of my heart. God has called us to obedience. We have a destiny to fulfill. God has called us in our families, in our churches, to a world that desperately needs to hear the truth. waste another chance don't waste another opportunity don't waste another day today is not only the day of salvation but it's the day of reclamation <laughs> it is the day to surrender and say God whatever I've got it's yours I will obey What are you waiting for? I've called you to minister to children. I've called you to minister to youth. I've called you to minister to seniors. I've called you to minister to men and women. I've called you into the ministry. My anointing is there for you. I have gifted you. I have equipped you. What are you waiting for? My anointing will make the difference. 
I'm not looking for your perfection. You can never be perfect outside of me. I'm looking for your obedience. Surrender to me. And I will make you whole so that you can be an agent of healing to those around you that are so desperately hurting. Amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet all over this building? Just stand to your feet. I want the prayer team to come forward quickly. (laughs) Your time is not past. Your time is not past. He's still calling. He's still calling. He's still calling. He's not just calling sinners. He's calling saints. Your time is not past. He loves you. And he wants to bless you and he wants to use you. His anointing is here for you. The hour is late and we have no time to waste. We need to obey him. I'm going to pray and while I'm praying... If you've got some issues in your life that you're dealing with that you think are keeping you from being obedient to the Lord, then I'm going to ask you to come forward and allow one of these prayer elders to pray with you. Because God wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in His anointing and in His authority and in His power. Because it's not about you. Everyone God's ever used has had issues. He wants to use you. His anointing and calling is there. While I pray, come forward. And saints of God, if you're not coming forward, please just just pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for those around you. Pray for God's will to be done in this service. In the name of Jesus. Father, I've obeyed you this morning. I've preached your word. I've tried to do my best. But I know that there's nothing I can say that will make that difference. It has to be the work of your Holy Spirit. But I know the Holy Spirit is here. You've been here from the beginning. You were here before the service began. And you are still here. And you're calling hearts. And you're tugging at hearts. And you're reaching out to minister to people. Lord God, help them to experience that grace and mercy this morning. Because you don't want them to turn a deaf ear to what you are saying how you are reaching out to them God help every one of us to surrender to you anew and afresh no excuses no excuses no excuses help us to just surrender to you and we give you the glory and the honor and the praise because we recognize your authority and power and we surrender we surrender we surrender We surrender. Hallelujah.